All right. Open your eyes, watch the movie. <laughs> Trailer. When me and my family went camping in the Pacific Northwest last summer, we had no idea what was in store. My name is Joshua Clay. You can call me Josh. Last summer, I started seeing things. Things that weren't there. One of those things was a girl. Someone who I found out to actually be real and in real danger. There was a creepy guy connected to some really dark stuff around the area. Missing women, summoning evil spirits, and maybe even something bigger. But don't freak out. Here it is. I promise you, everything that you're going to see and hear is real. It truly happened. It happened to me, and my family, and my new friends. It's dark. But believe me, life will come. Boy, did that give you the creeps? That gave me the creeps. <laughs> You're all looking terrified. Look, it's far worse than it appears. You, you can be comforted. Did, did, you get, did you end up sitting on one of these? Your little, your little invitation? So this is next Friday night at 6.30 at Trinity Church in Poway. And um, one of the actors is going to be there. And it's free. It's a free movie with popcorn and hors d'oeuvres. And then we're going to have a panel, an optional panel discussion afterwards. So if you just want to watch the movie and run, you can do that. And if you want to stay and ask questions and, and hear some things about the movie and how it was filmed, uh, you can do that too. So you're all invited. Please come. Okay. Normally, this would be uh, time to start teaching, but... Um, Somebody said, you've got to tell some of the stories of what happened in Guadalajara. So I wasn't going to do that, but I guess I'm going to do that. Yeah. By popular request. Guadalajara is a city of about 8 million people. It is the fashion capital of Central and parts of South America. It's the Milan of Central America. It's a very sophisticated city. And uh, Shelley and I have been going there for... 28 years, 28 years. Our close friends there watch their kids grow up, watching their kids having kids, being a grandfather and, you know, surrogate grandfather. It's been absolutely wonderful. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happened on this last trip. We were, I was there for three weekends, speaking in, I don't know, count maybe six different churches during that time and, and 14 meetings. It was very, very hectic and lots of counseling sessions and being involved in local church issues. The first weekend I got there, I was scheduled to speak at a church that we've been at many, many, many times. But the person I was staying with is at another church, and he said, I want you to come and speak to our prophetic people on Sunday morning before you go to this other church. So I went to spend some time with their prophetic team, ended up giving them all prophetic words, and it was great. And then they said, we want to pray for you. So I said, okay, go for it. 
So they began to pray, and um, the power of God came on me in a way that I haven't experienced like that for over 20 years. It came on me so powerfully, I began to shake. My whole body was shaking and then convulsing, and then I was bent over, and I couldn't stand up. And uh, normally, that would be a terrifying experience, something that strange. But because it's happened before, I recognized it for what it was. It was the power of God, which I took as a really positive thing. And, well, you know, nothing wrong with being filled with the power of God, is there? So I was driving over to the second church, and I spoke to the Lord, and I said, what you did back there was your power, and I don't want to waste it. So, and I don't want to just go to this church and prepare my perfectly prepared sermon with yellow highlights that match what's on the screen and just do what I always do. I would like to do something different. I would like to do something that you want to do rather than what I've planned. So I said, so, so I'm available for that. And just guide me in some way. And I waited during the car ride for leading from the Lord and didn't get anything, and then got to the church and waited in the pastor's office for leading from the Lord and didn't get anything, and then went and sat in the front row for the worship. And this thought came to me, three words, wait, watch, and walk. And I took that to mean... I want you to wait on me to see what I'm doing, and then I want you to watch and recognize what I'm doing, and then you walk in it. Then you take action. And I said, okay, this is great. Just do it. And sitting there waiting for something to happen during the worship, nothing happened. Near the end of the worship, this thought came to me very clearly. Their worship is pure, And it's touched my heart. And now I'm going to touch theirs. And he said, I said, what do you want me to do? And the thought said, go up there and announce what I just told you and tell them that I'm coming. He said, okay. So I got up and I said, the Lord told me the end of worship that you had very pure worship and touched his heart. Now he's going to touch yours. So I invited the Holy Spirit to come and waited. And then people started crying. Some of them started shaking. Then I started getting prophetic words for conditions that were in the people in the, in the room. Problems that they were facing and issues and their need of him. And they started coming forward, filled the whole front of the church, just filled it. And the power of God came and just fell on those people. It was just the most powerful ministry time I've seen in a long time. Absolutely wonderful. And then there was time afterwards to preach my sermon, which then led to another really good ministry time. So I said to the Lord afterwards, that was so much fun. And that was so good, 
I just want that to be what we do every time. And pretty much it was for the whole rest of the time there. Every meeting turned into, <laughs> I'd get up with a sermon prepared and start it out and think, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And then just some little inkling would happen, some little thought, and off we go on a tangent, and it turns out to be just what God wanted to do. So it was so life-giving for me, so restorative. And then the AA meeting at the end of the two and a half weeks, it's such a privilege to have AA invite a Christian to come and talk to them. It just doesn't happen, you know. And it was four hours of teaching and ministry time, and I saw God do things. I mean, he came in so much power. He, he, he fell on one guy, and the guy just violently shook. I mean, he was just filled with the power of God. It was so exciting. And people were crying and repenting, and it, it, it was, it's, just, it's glorious to watch something like that. It's absolutely glorious to see God at work like that. When one night, the people I stay with have a beautiful home and a huge backyard, and they put an event tent in their backyard, and uh, she's been organizing worship nights for the last year. Every couple of months, she'll do a Friday night worship night, and this was the Friday night for worship night. And um, she said, you're going to speak. I said, okay. She said, we've never had a speaker before. We've just worshiped, so this is going to be something new for us. I said, what do you want me to speak on? She said, well, the sentence that came to me is, what are you running from? (laughs) I said, okay, so that's the lighthearted message you have in mind. You're going to invite these people, and you're going to soften them up in worship, and everything's great, and then I get up and say, let's talk about what we're all running from. She goes, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that's, that's what we want. So that's what we did. And uh, during the ministry time, the worship was quietly going on, and God was touching a lot of people. And there was this one young girl. I say young girl. She's probably 50. <laughs> no, actually, she was probably in her 20s. And uh, I was just walking amongst the people, laying hands on them and, and speaking prayers for them. But I went up to her. Her eyes were closed, and I put my hand on her head. And I was going to say something, and then there wasn't anything to say. So I just, in my mind, prayed for her. And... Um, then at the end of the evening, when everyone was socializing and eating, there was over 100 people showed up for that thing. And as I did dinner for 100 people, it was crazy. So while everybody's eating and having a good time, this young girl walked up to me and she said, the most amazing thing happened tonight. And I said, what? And she said, well, I was standing there with my eyes closed and someone came up and put their hand on my head. And I said, yeah. And she said, and then this power came into me. She said, it was so powerful. It was like this complete rush of adrenaline. She said, I was a drug addict, and that's what it feels like. It felt like that when I would get stoned. And uh, she said, what was that? And I said, well, first of all, that was me that put hands on your head. That was the power of God. And... uh, 600 of these AA people go out every Friday night from 11 o'clock at night till 4 in the morning downtown Guadalajara with over a 1,000 sandwiches and water bottles, and they, they feed the poor. 
pray for the broken. She said, what was that? I said, that was the power of God. Now, I said, are you going out tonight with, with the AA? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, when you go, you're going in the power of God. And you have something to give. You can take what was given to you and you can give it to somebody else. So that was the way it was. It was just the most wonderful, spirit-led time. And... Uh, these guys are in, I keep telling them, these pastors, I say, you guys don't understand. You're in revival. You don't get it. I said, do you think this is normal? You know, there's one church, they're averaging 18 people a Sunday getting saved. I mean, every Sunday. I taught there last year, and the message had nothing to do with salvation. Nothing whatsoever. And the interpreter said, well, you should give a salvation call. So I said, anyone that wants to accept Jesus as your Savior, come forward. Eighteen people came forward. And I said, wow, that was great. And he said, yeah, well, we usually get more than that. <laughs> Sorry, the, gring the gringo failed you one more time. Next time, don't ask a gringo to preach. But they're in revival. Every church is like growing like crazy and seeing the presence of God and people getting saved. And I keep saying, you guys don't understand what you're experiencing is normal Christianity. What the rest of us experience is average Christianity. Never confuse average with normal. We're experiencing average and you're experiencing normal and it's amazing. And you're in revival and make hay while the sun shines. Because the day will come when it wanes and you're going to look back and say this was the best time of my life. So it's precious. Steward the presence well. I think they're getting it. <laughs> I think they're getting it. Anyway, last Sunday was a horrible experience for everyone. Yeah, it was, to be honest. If it, wasn't a if it wasn't a horrible experience, you didn't get it. It was supposed to be a horrible experience. This one's going to be almost as bad. No, this one's got way more hope. This one's kind of, this one kind of redeems. I'm surprised you're all back here again after last Sunday. Okay. Last week we looked at repentance as the key to entering into the kingdom of God. We looked at the fact that we're not saying I'm sorry for the bad things I've done. We're saying I'm sorry for the bad thing that I am. At the core of my being is a rebellious nature. So repentance is a matter of seeing ourselves for what we are, rebellious and independent from God. But it's also a wonderful thing because when you see yourself for, uh, for your, your true self and your independent self-will, that's how much God has forgiven you and that's how much he loves you. There's an equal sign between the awareness of your sin and the awareness of his love. So every time you see another dark picture of your heart, that's a time for rejoicing. Wow, even in this you love me. Even in this state of rebellion and self-will and pride and everything else, you still love me. It's absolutely amazing. 
we also looked at this fact. Seeing yourself, seeing ourselves for who we really are, is not something we can do for ourselves. There's a reason we call blind spots blind spots. Have you ever noticed? Like, aren't you absolutely annoyed by the blind spots of others? Well, just admit, you're married, okay? You're, you, if you're married, you have a spouse. If you have a spouse, they have blind spots. You see them clearly, they have no clue. Right? Isn't that absolutely the truth? We are so immune to seeing our own blind spots. But we sure as heck have no problem seeing everybody else's blind spots. Who said so true? <laughs> you get 10% off your tithe. You see... Seeing ourselves for who we really are is something only God can do for us. We are so well defended within us. Our self is so well defended and our pride is so well defended that it's just not going to make it easy for anybody, even God, to show us our real problem. So it's something only the power of God can do. Only the power of God is bigger than your pride. Only the power of God is bigger than your independence. So it's going to take the power of God intervening in revelation, and I do mean revelation. Like I'm using the technical term, it must be revealed because you can't see it yourself. A revelation is a truth from God that we were unable to see for ourselves, and so he shines the flashlight on that truth, and we get it. And it came by an act of God. It takes an act of God to reveal our sin nature. But what this means is, and this is the beginning of today's message, it is very dangerous to habitually go hunting for your own sin. You see, it's, it's really seeing yourself in, in, in the light of God is something only God can do. When we take it on ourselves to go hunting for our own sin, who are we cooperating with? What's his title? The accuser of the brethren. Satan's job description is to make you aware of how rotten you are in the hopes that you will own it and that will keep you away from God because you're far too bad to really approach God. That's his tactic. So when you decide, I'm going to dig up my sin and I'm going to go hunting for it, you're cooperating with something that's really, really dangerous to you. When the devil accuses us of sin, it is in order to instill self-hate in us. It is in order to discourage us so much that we will give up wanting to be holy because there's no hope. And it is to drive us away from our loving Heavenly Father and from our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's his purpose in you finding your sin. And he's going to help you. But it's always with the purpose of condemnation, which ends up in either self-hate or lethargy and hopelessness because you just know you can't change. So you give up. You go through the religious motions. You come to church. 
you put that right smile on your face, but inside it isn't working, and you're just coasting to a stop. That's the devil's agenda. The word is condemnation. Now, on the other hand, when the Holy Spirit reveals our sin to us, when it is a revelation from God, when He's doing His job well, it's called conviction. Now, there's a huge difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation leaves you with no sense of hope, nothing you can do about it. You're the problem. It isn't just the bad things you do. You're the problem, and you will always be a problem, and you're going to stay in this state, so you should just give up. Conviction from the Holy Spirit brings hope. He always gives you something you can do about it. Have you ever noticed that when the devil condemns you, he's not very specific about your failures? It's just, it's not so much the things you've done, you're just rotten. You're worthless, you're hopeless, you're you're never going to be any good. You you get what I'm saying? He just leaves you in this state of hopelessness, but there's nothing specific you could say I'm sorry for. He just gives you a general sense of what a loser and how bad you are. And it leaves you hopeless with nothing you can do. When the Holy Spirit convicts, you know, it's always with respect to something particular. Have you ever noticed that? Like I'll realize in a conversation with someone I was was short and abrupt and I didn't really listen to them. And I'll get convicted of it. And I'll go and say, I'm really sorry. You know, I wasn't paying attention. Tell me that again. You get to fix it. Because it's something specific you can do something about. And the conviction always leaves you with hope. Yeah, you screwed up, but God loves you. And He's there for you. And He's going to remind you next time so you don't have to do it. And He's working for change from the inside out. And you don't have to do it because He's he's busy transforming you inside. You're left with hope. You're left with something you can actually do. And strangely enough, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and you repent, you're left with this great sense of peace and joy. Like, it's okay again. I'm restored to God. We're back where we should be. We're close again. The conviction of the Holy Spirit leaves us thankful for His love and amazed at the depth of His forgiveness. Guys, that's, that's worth the price of admission right there. Thankful for His love and amazed at the depth of His forgiveness. The Holy Spirit never leaves us discouraged. He leaves us encouraged. Discouraged means courage was removed from you and there's a sense of powerlessness and hopelessness. Encouraged is courage was returned to you and there's a sense of power and hope. The Holy Spirit never leaves us discouraged, sobered and humbled, but never hopeless. So, lesson, it's important not to go digging up your sin in order to repent. So we're left asking, well, what should we repent of? 
and we should wait for God to reveal it to us. If you ask him that question, I've talked to people, they say, I tried to repent and, 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 I, tried, and I tried to find my sin and I couldn't. That just shows how, how deeply sinful I am that even when I went looking for it, really trying to get it, I couldn't find it. And I said, no, it's not there. If you ask the Lord to reveal your sin to you and nothing comes to you, there isn't any. I mean, if you ask sincerely. Like, God, please, you know, show me my blind spots. He will. He will. And if he, well, he, your wife will. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of joking, but I'm not. I'm not. See, sometimes we pray to the Lord and say, show me what's wrong with me. And he does, but we don't like the way he does it. Why don't we like the way he does it? How does God usually show us our sin? Through other people. Absolutely. Most of the time, <laughs> you know, I've never found anyone who says, I'll repent when God himself shows up and holds a mirror in front of my face and says, here is your sin. Doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, he uses a much more unreliable, annoying, and easy-to-miss tactic, other people. There's nothing harder than hearing some equally sinful person tell you what's wrong with you. Sadly, this is how he usually brings the painful truth to us. Is, is, guys, come on. You can see everybody else's blind spots, but you can't see your own. So if you can't see your own, but everyone else can see yours, who should you ask about your blind spots? Yeah. Anyone that knows you well and has shares some life with you, they're going to tell you what's wrong. We were coming back from Puerto Vallarta. Marco and Zai and I took a little break in the middle of all this. Yes, it was wonderful. And I was thinking about, we were talking about, we were talking about someone that we all knew and their blind spots. We were gossiping. But it was in a good cause. Yes. <laughs> gossiping for, for Jesus. It's a good cause. So, so we were thinking about blind spots and how can people be so blind? Everybody sees it. They're not getting it. And we're kind of dissing, you know, like, eh, losers. And then I thought, and then, and then I turned the finger on myself. And I thought, well, I've got blind spots. I don't see them because they're blind spots. But I must have. I know theoretically I have blind spots. So I said, Marco, tell me my blind spots. And he did. It, it, but he was so sweet. I mean, he's, he's, he's my friend. He said, well, you know, there's a couple of things. <laughs> you have only two. And, 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 he, and he, he said, well, you know, this. And I thought, he's absolutely right. That's right. And then I said, what else? He said, well, this. I said, yeah, I know. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I needed to hear that. I can do something about that. 
But look, there's nothing harder than hearing some equally sinful person or worse than you. Some like bigger sinner, bigger idiot, bigger loser than you telling you about your problems. That is so annoying. Why would God risk this important task of revealing a person's sin to other people? Why would he do that? Why doesn't he just, bam, hit them with the heavenly light of truth and they see their brokenness and repent in front of him and everything's fine? Why is he entrusting this super important growth thing to losers? Okay. Well, because he says so in his word, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. There's a principle here. There's a functional principle of the kingdom of God that's being captured in that verse and is the reason why he has entrusted the revelation of our sin to those around us. All the reasons, yeah, relationship. He, look, if God wanted a perfectly run kingdom, we would not be involved. Amen. Right? It would be... Oh, it's just really bad. I have, my mentor used to explain it this way. He had a car, and he had three little boys. One year apart, three little boys. And they always wanted to come out. When he was washing the car, you know, got the soap and everything, and it's really fun, and you put the soap on, and then the hose... They really wanted to be part of washing the car. And when he let them be part of washing the car, it took three times as long. It was a crappy job, and the car always looked worse for it afterwards because it's not just some of the dust came off, but others were streaked. And there was suds and water all over the upholstery and everything else and all over the kids and all over him. But every single time, he let them wash the car with him. Why did he do that? He could have done it so much better, so much quicker, so much less hassle if he just did it by himself. It's for the sake of relationship. God has given us the dignity, the place, the significance, you guys, of being part of the administration of his world, especially in our relationships with one another. There's so many times... I'll tell you a quick story. A friend was unfaithful to his wife. And um, he was deeply convicted of his sin and repented and repented and repented and repented over and over and over again to God for this sin and never, ever felt forgiven. And it was tormenting him. And he came to me years, years after the event, and said, I can't stand this. I, I keep trying to repent of this. I only did it once. I'm ashamed of myself, but I can't get free of the condemnation. I just feel terrible. Should I tell her? Because I can't get rid of this any other way. I don't know what to do. And I said, okay, look, God has given me the authority in his world to pronounce forgiveness over you. I get to do that. And when I do it, God backs it up. 
Now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pronounce you forgiven from this sin. And this lie isn't going to harass you anymore. He accepted that, and it was gone. And I talked to him a couple of years later and said, has that, that, that shame and that guilt, and that, has it ever come back? He said, no, it was gone that time you pronounced me forgiven. We get to be part of the administration of God's presence on earth for one another. And in the areas of repentance and forgiveness of sin, we get to play a central role. In fact, often God will withhold the direct experience with the person so one of us can be his representative. Just because he cares so much about involving us in the administration of his world. Guys, the dignity and the worth that that gives us, the significance, especially in a huge thing like forgiveness. Confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. This is the delegation of forgiveness to the church, to us. This is what it means in Romans when it talks about admonishing and correcting one another. This is what it is to be truly repentant. It's cultivating a humility that takes correction from another who is just as bad or worse than you. You with me? Now, in your life, just let's be honest for a minute. In your life, who is the person that will have the clearest insight into your blind spots? Your <laughs> well, yeah, your teenage children, but that's probably demonic. Because they're teenagers. Sorry, guys. Who, come on, guys, if you're married, it's your spouse, okay? Like, they see you a lot more than anybody else. So when, and when they come to you and say, Mark, you have a problem, there's almost no chance of you listening. Familiarity breeds indifference, right? It's so, but, but think of it. Who, who is the person that can identify your blind spots most accurately? The one that knows you best. So when they come to you and say, hey, you got a problem, you got a problem. Time to own it. Time to do something about it. Time to take it to the Lord and say, work with me. Here's what, here's a biblical example of what true repentance looks like after a man is corrected by another man. This is godly repentance brought about through one person to another. You ready? Okay, before we look at it, don't put it up, don't put it up. No, don't put it up. <laughs> Not yet. Quiz, Bible quiz. Probably the most profound example of repentance in the Bible, one guy from another guy when the guy told him his blind spot. 
Who are we thinking of? Yeah, and, and who is the guy? Nathan. David gets his close friend killed so he can have sex with his wife. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's not a blind spot. That's a blind, I don't know, huge thing. It's a huge blind thing. It's a blind, huge thing. It's a huge, big, nasty, blind, repentant spot. Nathan comes along and tells him a little story about the little sheep and the guy who stole the little sheep and everything. And then Nathan says, that man is you. And it just wounded, I mean, right, right to the center of David's heart. Yeah, that was me. And he writes this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. At that point he did. And my sin is always before me. Against you only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Now this is interesting because he's talking to God as if God was the one that confronted him. But Nathan was the one that confronted him. But Nathan was God's agent in this confrontation. He was acting with God's authority. Against you only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What does this sound like? He's admitting his rebellious nature. He's not at this point talking about the bad things he's done. He's talking about the bad thing that he is. He's in touch at this point with the very depth of what sin really is. He's rebellious by nature. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Only God can restore innocence. Only God can deal with the shame of sin. A psychologist can't do it. A social worker can't do it. Your best friend can't do it. Only God can deal with that. Only he brings innocence. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. It's God's design for our Christian relationships that we rub up against each other, and in the process, our sins are revealed. And then we can take them to God, and we can repent. And we can have our spirits cleansed and our innocence restored.
Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. The reason God confronts us with our sin, either directly or through another person, is because a rebellious nature left unchecked results in distance from God and distance from others. And this leads to a lack of joy, which has to be restored. But here's the good news. He's in the joy restoration business. He's in the joy restoration business. His reason for dealing with your sin is so that it will not stand in the way of his joy. We think God hates sin. He only hates sin because it's so destructive to the people he loves. He's not a sin-centered God. He's a love-centered God. When sin stands in the way of love, he deals with the sin and gives us ways to deal with the sin. But it's all about the love and the joy. C.S. Lewis said, the serious business of heaven is joy. (laughs) Isn't that an awesome quote? The serious business of heaven is joy. So, I guess when your wife points out your blind spots, you can turn and say, thank you so much, that gives me joy. (laughs) Thank you so much. I needed that. But really, it's, it's for the joy of a reconciled, fixed relationship. That's why we deal with these things, because they're damaging to our relationships. Our relationships with one another, horizontally, but above all else, our relationship with the Father vertically. And he, guys, he is, he is a moment away. You, the restoration of your joy is a moment away. The time it takes to pause and repent is the time it takes to restore your joy. And he's always willing to do that. He's patiently waiting for you to bring your mess to him or someone to convict you of your mess. So someone who can identify your mess so he can convict you of your mess so he can repent. So he can forgive. Excuse me, I'm a mess. So, so, so you can repent and he can forgive you and restore your joy. Fair enough? Okay, let's see if we can apply this. This is a courageous thing to do, but how about, how about we pray to him and we say, Lord, I'm blind to my blind spots, but I want to know what they are. And I am going to welcome you to use whoever you want in my life to confront me with my blind spots. Whoever it is, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll hear it. So then you know when the moment comes that somebody says, hey, listen, I got to talk to you about something. Or your husband says, there you go again. <laughs> or your wife says, not again that you'll actually listen this time. And remember that you prayed this. Remember you prayed, oh God, I'm giving you permission. I'm welcoming you to come 
and reveal my blind spots to me. And then trust Him in the process. Make sense? Okay, should we do it? You don't have to, but this is an opportunity to do this with the Lord. So I'm going to lead in a prayer for me and vicariously for you guys. And you can join me with this prayer. And then let's expect God to act on it. Let's, let's expect Him to send somebody who's going to say, Hey, Mark, you're not seeing something you need to see. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the only thing that gives me hope in this process is that you died to make it possible. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross. And I'm that joy set before you. You're doing this for me to set me free so I don't have to be governed by things I don't even understand. So, Father, I'm asking you to either directly reveal to me my blind spots or send someone who has the courage to tell me the truth and loves me in the process. I want to know so I can grow, so I can have more of your joy and better relationships with people and with you. So I invite you right now to do that. And give me the strength when it happens to just be quiet and listen and hear your voice in it. Thank you for loving me more than you hate sin. opportunity. Why don't we get our, uh, our elements together? It is. Yeah, this is really, what an application. This is perfect. <laughs> Must have been the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. For those of you that don't have a wife or a husband, I encourage you 
to find somebody, which is, you know, there's a lot of people here, um, it's the beauty of a church, but encourage somebody to, that you care about, that cares about you, to speak into your life. Good word. So guys, two weeks ago, we looked at the real root of our sin how bad it really is because it's our nature we're dealing with our own human nature and Paul said who can save me from this body of death he looked at himself just honestly looked at himself and said I am a colossal mess who can possibly save me from this body of death and we have an answer to that question we have the reminder of that answer. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ given for us is the solution to our very nature. And it is the hope for change. And it is the hope for security and acceptance and belonging. It isn't just the hope, it's the actualization of it. And we're given a, a, this as a reminder we're supposed to do this regularly. Why? Because the devil's so busy telling us it won't work that we need to hear it repeatedly that it will and it did and here it is and we can remember and we can receive it so there's two ways to do this you can say this is a ritual of uh, remembrance which is nice or you can say this is a means of grace this is one of the ways that God promised to come to me and give me what I need of himself so when I take this in faith I'm not just remembering something I'm receiving something I'm receiving more of what I need from him to face myself and get my sin removed and innocence restored. So let's take the body, blood of, let's take the body. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me for the forgiveness of sins. Now, as you take this and eat it, take it as the forgiveness of sins. same way he took the wine and he said and this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins so let's accept that so how about we celebrate that fact Stand up and worship. Thank you, Jesus. You are here.
Jesus' name.